0: Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com Well, we are getting back on track with Nehemiah. Um, The message I'm preaching today uh, was supposed to preach last Sunday, which actually was supposed to have been the Sunday before that, but we had the Adoption Sunday, and then we had last Sunday, and so we're two Sundays behind, and uh, so that's all right. We're going to keep it going. And those of you who are uh, joining us online, we're glad that you're with us and uh, glad that you're studying God's Word with us. So if you'll take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Nehemiah, we're going to be in chapter 6 as we look at 29 verses and as we study through that. Before we get into that, I just want to say thank you uh, to Gateway. I I want to thank Gateway for uh, sharing the good news and love. I hear so many stories from you and sharing your faith to a family member, to a friend. And I just want to thank you that you're consistent about that and that you choose to get out of your comfort zone to share the good news about Jesus and you're doing it out of love because you have a compelling love for that friend. And I also want to thank you for those who are serving the Lord at Gateway in hope, uh, in hoping of making a difference in people's lives. Many of you served yesterday in uh, handing out uh, uh, Thanksgiving uh, uh, dinners for those in our community who would otherwise... Uh, not be able to celebrate the way we like to celebrate Thanksgiving. And, and so you made sure uh, through your uh, commitment and uh, giving of your Saturday that families all over uh, our area will have an, a special uh, dinner on this Thanksgiving. Uh, but you do it in so many other ways, and I appreciate that, that you uh, are serving the Lord and giving people hope. And, and lastly, I want to thank you for giving in faith. Uh, you give of your resources, of your time, and you give of your money, and so I appreciate that, and you give it in faith. Uh, you know, what's really amazing, though, when you give of your money, money is a renewable resource. So, you know, it is great to give your, that resource, but it's renewed. You can make more money. Uh, time is not a renewable resource, once you spend it, it's gone. It's never going to come back, and you cannot respend it. And so when you give of your time to do ministry, to uh, influence people's lives, to make a difference in people's lives, you're giving a non-renewable resource, and that's even greater. And I appreciate you doing that, that you're doing that in faith, when you give of your time for the benefit of someone else. Uh, to share the gospel, to build a relationship, to make a difference with what they're going through in their life. So thank you, uh, and uh, thank you for your service in that way. So today, uh, we're going to be talking about, and as we uh, continue talking through creating margins, is how do you create these margins in your life that allow you to make a huge difference with your life? How, how is it you can live? What decisions can you make that your life makes a huge difference? I mean, you've got a choice. You, you can spend your life living for self and you can accomplish some things, but when your life comes to an end, you're dead and gone. Those things go away. They mean nothing to anybody else or maybe one generation of your family members, but beyond that, It's gone, it's over with. Uh, It may even be considered meaningless. But when you choose to have a compelling reason to invest your life in something that makes a vast difference, a kingdom difference, then long after you're gone, the impact of what you did is still felt because of this. When I live for myself, that's temporary. But when I choose to do the things that are kingdom things, that's eternal. I mean, the things. I mean, when you when you share your faith and someone prays, to receive Christ, you changed eternity for them. Well, God did it, Jesus did it, but you introduced them to what would change their eternal life, and that never goes away. That is always there to celebrate. And when you invest yourself in a ministry that touches a life uh, with the cause of Christ, that's something that lasts for eternity. In, in other words, you, you will be blessed beyond measure in those areas. So I want us to think about how we can make a huge difference with our lives. And Nehemiah 6.15 kind of sums it up when Nehemiah said, so on October the 2nd, the wall was finished. Wow. Just 52 days after we had begun. I mean, for decades, there was talk about how the wall could never be rebuilt. Decades. There was always griping and complaining and moaning and groaning, and this will never be replaced. This will never be fixed. I I mean, it it was just kind of like, this is done. Nehemiah was his, his incredible prayer life. And his belief in holy God accomplished it in 52 days. That's amazing. And so here we are thousands of years later still talking about it. In fact, last time I was in Israel, I got to see some excavation where they had uncovered what they considered be the wall that Nehemiah rebuilt. It was amazing. It's like 10 feet wide, about 12 feet deep. Or high, and you could sit there and look at and see the walls, the stones that Nehemiah's workers personally handled and put in place. And that encourages my faith to see with my own eyes what the Bible talks about and to see Nehemiah's faith, to see the result of his incredible faith. So here's the key don't quit. If you're doing something that matters, if you're doing something of kingdom value, if you're doing something of eternal value, don't quit. I mean, that's the lesson I learned from Nehemiah. He had major oppositions about rebuilding this wall. He had a guy named Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, and they all tried different things uh, to cause division, discouragement, distractions. I mean, they, they threw everything they could at him. And when the wall was almost finished and all they had left to do was to hang the doors, the gates, they, they really poured it on. So let's kind of walk through what Nehemiah did so that you and I can learn from these lessons. Because I promise you, when you do something that's of eternal value, there's going to be opposition every single time. Number one, you keep working in spite of the distractions. In spite of them. Because are, they are going to happen. The Bible says, beginning at verse 1, Nehemiah 6, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. Realized, uh, that's an important phrase, he realized that's discernment. That's having spiritual discernment. The closer you walk with the Lord, the more acute your spiritual discernment will be. The more you're in God's word, the more refined your spiritual discernment will be. So he said, I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message. I'm engaged in a great work. So why? So I cannot, I cannot come. Why should I stop working to come meet with you? It's kind of like, he's kind of like putting them in their space. (laughs) Guys, I'm doing a major project. Who, Who are you? I mean, just who, who do you think you are? What are you doing for God's kingdom? All you're doing is making yourself rich. You're profiting off the misery of the Jewish people. That's why you don't want me doing this because you got a good thing going and I'm messing up your system. And so he's basically saying, I'm doing something that matters. I don't have time for you guys. And so four times they sent the same message and each time I gave them the same reply. So they were they were just trying to sidetrack Nehemiah. And they were saying, let's have a peace conference. But Nehemiah, you know, the, the plain of Ono was actually 20 miles north of Jerusalem. And, and so, I mean, they could have set up an assassination attempt, a kidnapping attempt. They could have done all sorts of things. And, and Nehemiah had a discernment about it. And his response was, I'm spending my life doing something that matters. What are you doing? I don't have time for you. You're not that important. See, more than this, they were actually endangering his life, and he had a discernment about that. So here's the lesson. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I mean, do you know what the main thing is in your life? Have you figured that out yet? Do you even know what it is that you want to keep the main thing in your life? I mean, God's defined it. He gave you a purpose. He gave you a reason to even be alive. He has purpose for your life, and that is the main thing. And until you get to that place where you say, God's purpose for me has got to be the main thing. And I'm not going to let anything distract me from it. Because I want to tell you, there's always going to be even good things to distract you from the main thing. The reason why Nehemiah finished what he started, he did not let things distract him. He kept his eyes on the gold. Number two, you keep working in spite of criticism. I mean, this is, this is one of Satan's great tools. It's just, you, you criticize you and you become discouraged. And it said the fifth time, send ballot servant came with an open letter in his hand. Now this is different a sealed letter meant it's only for the person who it's written to, and, and, and if the seal's broken, they know other people have read it. But an open letter, an unsealed letter, was basically like a, a letter to the editor. It was meant for anybody to read. So anybody could read this, and probably a lot of people read it. And the reason they sent it that way was to get rumors started, to hopefully get a, a groundswell of people against Nehemiah. So they they sent this letter, and here's what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true. (laughs) Therefore, it's got to be true, right? "And, And that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there's the king of Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. Uh, That's the guy that Nehemiah was the cupbearer for, the one who got behind this project and provided everything that Nehemiah needed to build the wall. You can be sure that this report gets back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. So this is slander. He's trying to slander Nehemiah. And he said, you're just trying to build your own empire. You're, you're making this all about you. And, and so you're, you're, you're going to try to rebel against the king and, and we're going we're gonna to make sure that doesn't happen. You see, failures, people who are failures hate the successes of other people. I mean, let let me ask you a hard question. If you find that you're always criticizing somebody else when good things happen or when they accomplish something, is it because maybe you feel bad about your own life? Because I want to tell you, if you're busy doing what God's called you to do, you don't have time to worry about the accomplishments of somebody else. You really don't. You know, a word for Satan actually means slanderer. And so when you slander somebody, you're actually doing the work of Satan. Let me say that again. When you choose to slander a person with your comments... You're making Satan's work easy. You're doing it for him. You have become an agent of the devil. Think about that the next time you start criticizing someone, especially if you've not had a conversation with them or you don't know the whole story. That's a very serious, serious thing. The Bible says that Satan is the accusers of the brethren. And unfortunately, in today's world, with social media the way it is, Satan doesn't have to work very hard at it. Christians are really good at accusing each other in public. Calling each other out in public. You see, the Bible's real clear about how you handle that kind of stuff. If you become aware of something of a friend or an associate, the Bible makes it really clear. You go to them in private and you have the hard conversation. So I would suggest to you, unless you're willing to do that, and if you choose not to do that, then you have forfeited the right to say anything. And then when you pass on information that you're not even sure about and you only have partial information and you pass it on in public, you're doing Satan's work, not God's. God never needs you to call somebody out publicly. That's his job. He'll take care of it. So when this started happening, Nehemiah simply prayed, Lord, strengthen my hands. And, and here's why he prayed that, because I think it's true of just human nature. When people are against you, when people slander you, when people say things about you that aren't true, it drains you emotionally. I mean, right? You just feel bad. It, it takes a lot of your energy. And it, emotionally, it just can drain you dry. And so Nehemiah, I think that was happening to him, and he did the, the best thing to do. He asked God to strengthen his hands. He, it's like he's saying, I, I'm running out of energy here, Lord. I, I need your energy. I need you to strengthen my hands. I, I'm running on empty emotionally, and I need you to fill me back up. You know, I think most people would agree that one of our greatest presidents was Abraham Lincoln. But if you know much about his presidency, if you've studied it, you would know that he went through horrendous opposition. Especially from his own party. There were so many against him. Obviously, the Civil War caused many to be against him and half the country to be against him. But the way he was handling it and moving towards the Emancipation Proclamation. There there were many in his party that were against that. And here's what Abraham Lincoln said. If I were to try to read, much less answer all the attacks made against me, this shop would close for business. I do my best, the very best I know how, the very best I can. I plan to keep on doing it until the end. Wow. He kept working in spite of the criticism. The fact is, anyone who sets big goals will be criticized by those who have no goals. Every time. So be a big goal setter. Have those big audacious goals that only God can complete. Listen to what Jesus said. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. So what Jesus was saying, hey, if you're following me and if you're doing my purpose for your life, if you're doing what my father has called you to do, you need to be assured you're going to be mocked, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be lied about, and all sorts of evil things will be said against you. But God will bless you. He will bless you. And so Jesus said, be happy about it. That's that's not easy to do. I mean, when somebody criticizes me or mocks me or says a lie about me, usually happy's not the first thing I think about. And Jesus said, be happy. Be very glad. Man, that is polar opposite of our human reaction, isn't it? I mean, I want to get even. I want to get mad. And Jesus said, "No, no. You need to be happy about it. You need to be you need to be very glad because you're in for God's blessing. You now have a guaranteed blessing from God himself. And then Jesus says, "For a great reward awaits you in heaven." Wow. Uh, That means a reward that will never go away, that will last for eternity. And Jesus said, and remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. See, this is nothing new. This was going on before Jesus was here on earth. It was going on while he was on earth and he pretty much guaranteed it's gonna go on after he left and went back to heaven. He he said, this is gonna happen and so the opposite, I think, is, is is true. If I'm not mocked, if I'm not persecuted, if I'm not lied about, then chances are that means I'm not doing anything to get anybody's attention or Satan's attention. The accuser's not coming after me because I've not done anything that, that bothers him. So Nehemiah's response was he discerned their motives He said, they were just trying to humiliate and intimidate us. Imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued to work with even greater determination. The third thing, keep working in spite of danger. Now this is, this is a lot harder keep working in spite of danger so you know now they were going to try to really scare him with danger and uh, Shemiah who was a friend of Nehemiah and was also a priest apparently uh Sanballat bought him off I don't know what all happened but um He got him to go to Nehemiah and say, Go tell your buddy that Nehemiah, that that there's an assassination plot for his life, and we got a hitman that's coming after him. And the best thing that he could do is go hide in the Holy of Holies because the bad guys wouldn't dare go in there. In Nehemiah 6, verse 11, here's what Nehemiah said Should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? Absolutely not. I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him and that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And they were hoping to intimidate me, to make me sin. You see, if he had run into the Holy of Holies, he would have committed one of the big sins. I mean, that was a death penalty sin. Only the high priest could go in that place once a year. And so they were trying to get him out of fear to sin. So Nehemiah's response was the same. He just kept on working. I always like it when somebody, every every once in a while somebody comes along who has just started attending Gateway or I'll get a letter or I'll get an email or sometimes they'll call and make an appointment and they'll say something like this, God told me to tell you that these are the changes you need to make at Gateway. Now, I usually say to them, I just talked to God this morning and he didn't say anything about it. I think he would have told me. I mean, if you're walking with Jesus and God wants you to know something. Now, now, if you have a friend that comes to you and says, you know what? I've had a discernment about an attitude that you've got or something that's going on. And I just feel like I need to talk to you about it. Now that's a different story. But when people come along and say, God told me to tell you, now, see, again, it's a whole nother story. When you go to somebody to encourage them, God told me to tell you, be encouraged. God told me to tell you, you're on the right track. See, God loves for us to be encouragers to each other. God told me to tell you, he's got great plans for you. He has a purpose for you. That's one thing. That's a whole different story. And so Nehemiah's buddy came to him and said, God told me to tell you, go sin (laughs) by running into the Holy of Holies. Obviously he knew that wasn't God talking. You see, the reason, because Nehemiah refused to quit, guess what happened? The wall was built in 52 days. Astounding, amazing, overwhelming. So I I want you to apply these to your life. You know, if you want to be a super achiever, I mean, a super achiever is anybody that does God's will. That's a super achievement. Anybody who knows God's purpose for their life and they do that. In football, if you're on the defense, you want to sack the quarterback as much as possible because that means they're not going to score. You keep sacking the quarterback, you keep stopping the the ball, and, and chances are you're going to win the game if you can consistently do that. So you go after the leader. I mean, the quarterback's the leader of the team. He's the one that makes the plays happen, and and you're going after the leaders. Satan's always gonna go after the leaders. And guess what? Every believer is called to be a leader. So Satan's gonna go after you. And you may be sitting there thinking, "I, I don't lead any ministry. There's nothing that I'm doing Well, then that's where you need to start because you do have a purpose. You do have a plan that God's made for you and you're called to lead out in that plan, that purpose. And if you're a leader, it's a guarantee that Satan's going to come after you. And so if you want to be a super leader, a super achiever, someone who truly fulfills God's purpose for their life, here are some characteristics. Have a compelling purpose. Until you have a compelling purpose, I think you're just simply existing. So, what's a compelling purpose? I mean, Nehemiah was willing to give up everything to go, to do this job, this task. <clears throat> a compelling purpose is God's purpose for you. That's compelling because it's from God. God's plan and purpose for your life is as compelling as it gets. And and so you you carry out that purpose. That's compelling. That's what gets you up in the morning. That's what causes you to be driven and, and causes you to have excitement and leads you to stay on your knees praying. Great lives are produced by a person who is committed to a great cause and there's nothing greater than the cause that God created your life for. God's kingdom. You're called to a plan and purpose for the purpose of God's kingdom. Can you think of anything greater than that? I cannot. God's kingdom, anything bigger than that? You're called to whatever task God has for you. It has something to do with his kingdom. That's why I like Gateway's statement, that we are going to have a great commitment to the great commandment and to the great commission, and that's what will build a great church So let me apply it to you personally. When you have a great commitment to the great commandments, love God, love others, and to the great commission, go and make disciples, then you will have a great life. That is what will build a great life. So do you have a compelling purpose? Secondly, a characteristic of a superachiever is they have a clear perspective. And I want to tell you, our perspective is always clouded by something called fear. Fear means this false evidence appearing real. That's fear. False evidence appearing real. Just like Nehemiah. No matter what happens, I'm going to keep going. No matter what the criticism, no matter what the threats, I don't care about the assassins. I don't care about any of that. I don't care about the rumors. I don't care about the lies. I'm called to a great thing and I'm going to do it. James 1.5 says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you and he will not rebuke you for asking. So, you don't know what your purpose in life is? Ask God. God, I need wisdom. I need understanding about my purpose, why I'm here. I need to know what you want me to do with my life for this kingdom, for your kingdom. God loves answering prayers like that. Number three, a continual prayer life. Nehemiah was a prayer addict. Every time something, his response, his first response every time was prayer. When he heard about Jerusalem, he prayed and fasted for days, for months. Every time criticism came, he prayed. Every time opposition came, he prayed. When he ran out of strength, he prayed. Luke 18, one, it says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. That's from Jesus. Always pray and never give up. And then the last truth about being a super achiever, have a courageous persistence. Galatians 6, 9 says, so so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Here's been one of my observations about many, many, many ministers in ministry, many pastors. When I spend time with pastors who are frustrated, discouraged, and they'll tell me all the things that are wrong at their church, one of the things I almost always say, I said, look, right before the victory, there is going to be a lot of skirmishes, a lot of pushback, a lot of battles. And the closer you get to that victory mark, the more intense it's going to become. You know, Ballot and those guys, they just kind of gradually tried to get Nehemiah to slow down, hey, let's talk, let's have a little powwow. And then right before they were ready to hang the doors on the gates and be done with the project, We've hired an assassin to come after you. He's coming to get you. You better run and hide in the Holy of Holies. I mean, the pressure's gonna come on. And so often I'll see that pastor just quit, go to another church, start all over. But I've seen many time and time again who just when they were ready to quit, that's when the breakout happened. That's when the victories came. That's when the corner turned. I think that might be true in your life. When God gives you a vision and purpose for your life, and the closer you get to start doing that, Satan, the slanderer, is going to not make it easy for you. And he's gonna discourage you and he's gonna send even your close friends to discourage you even though they might not realize they're being used by the devil. And and it's gonna be so easy for you to give up. But just short of that victory when the pressure's the hardest, if you choose to stay with it and be courageously persistent, that's when you have the victory. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So are you willing to let God give you a compelling purpose? Are you willing? I mean, he already has his kingdom. But are you willing for God to make it personal for you? What he personally wants you to do. Are you willing? If you are, listen to this prayer and join me in this prayer. Father, I pray that you'll raise up a generation of Nehemiahs here at Gateway. I pray that you'll raise up people who are leaders, godly leaders. I pray that you'll give them a compelling purpose, your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that we as a church will stay committed in praying for our leaders. I mean, I as pastor, covet your prayers. And Lord, we continue to pray for Ronald as he watches over our finances and as he watches over administration of the staff. Pray for Tag as he watches over our life groups and several of the ministries in this church and gives direction and encouragement. Pray for Jeremy as he oversees our worship team, our media team, and... I pray that you'll just continue to sharpen the vision you've given him and surround him with gifted leaders to come alongside him as they lead us in worship. Lord, I pray for Jeff as he leads our children and the parents of our kids and all the volunteers that work in the children's ministry. I pray that You will surround him with godly people who share in that kingdom vision. Lord, I pray for that youth pastor that you've already selected for us. We don't know who he is yet, but you already know. That you'll begin to prepare his heart for this place. But I pray that you'll watch over Riley as he gives leadership in our youth and as he spends time with them and teaches them. Lord, I I pray for the lay people who lead different ministries in our church. I pray that you'll surround them with people that will encourage them, and I pray that you will build them up and show them the eternal value of what they're doing, the importance of what they're doing, and that they will feel blessed to be a part, you will cause them to be prayer warriors and persistent in the journey. I pray for our deacons as they model spiritual leadership for the church, as they each have their various ministries within the church, that they will be godly examples for us to follow. I pray for life group leaders who have been handed the care of a specific group of individuals, that they will become prayer warriors for their their life group, that they will minister to them. They'll be their pastor and, and they will seek to help them to grow in their faith, to teach your word faithfully to them. Lord, I just could go on and on about different leaders in our church, but I thank you for each and every one of them. Thank you that you've raised up such a team of Nehemiahs. And Lord, for our young people, I pray that you'll give them the faith of a Nehemiah a prayer life of the Nehemiah. The tenacity of a Nehemiah. The courage of a Nehemiah. And let each of us be committed to being a leader being used by you for your purposes, for your kingdom work that will last for eternity how special is that? Let our lives be worth living because of your kingdom. Lord, I pray each person here will take that next step to be willing to be used by you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.